just sort of soft talking. Is yeah, I quite like that though. That's, oh yeah, that's quite nice. It's more, it's more human, and uh, as you say, it's supposed to be you know chatting. So this is it. That's good. Yeah. Um, and also, I don't know how well it works in audio, but people don't seem to moan too much. Everyone, welcome to Railnet, and we're here. Hello, hello. Um, uh, hello, uh, Dr. Micah's Bester's here. Uh-oh. Yes, hello, Mike. I can hear you. It's fine. Great, you're, you're here. Uh, in Thanks. fact, I can do this to prove you're here. Hello, we're, we're waving. We're both here. Hello. You can talk. It's, I said welcome to Railnet, okay. but it's not the opening credits yet, so it's, we're, we're fine. Phew. I know yes. you're, you're worrying. Um, one, thing that's a bit, one thing I need to apologize for to everyone watching, um, NDI, which is the thing that I connect up my, our guests, our esteemed guests, into, into Railnatter, um, does, a bit of a, it does a bit of a desync with voice and, and picture. So when you talk, your mouth, you look a little bit like you're from a, a 1970s kung fu movie. It's a little bit, but it's fine. That's my tech problems. Can everyone hear? <laughs> How's this? Yeah, I know, right? Can everyone hear the sound balance is... is is good, good. Everyone's happy. I can see people giving me thumbs up, so that's grand. That's exactly what I need to, to hear. Um, right. Well, without further ado, I'm going to crack on. Before we, before Mike has a chance to introduce himself, and um, before we we continue, um, let's do the news. Let's do the news. Um, everyone's here. Yes, big face confirmed. And we, we've on big face. Now we're going to do the news. So, budget goodies for rail. Uh, nope, no, there aren't any. Absolute blank, blank slate, nothing at all. So let's just move on from that, frankly. Uh, nothing at all in the budget. Chance to rebuild, not taken, yada, yada. Um, which incidentally leads us nicely into this Institute for Government uh, paper about the fact that the UK is just very bad at transport policy. Um, uh, it's a very good paper, and I'm currently chatting to both Alistair Baldwin and Kelly Shuttleworth from the Institute for Government to join Rail Matter for the, um, the first official two-guest uh, version of Rail Matter. I'm going to have to work out the technology to make this happen. Uh, I haven't yet. Uh, but anyway, that should be happening soon, which will be exciting, because it's a really strong paper on how on everything that Britain gets wrong in terms of transport policy. Um, and it's, it's, it's fascinating, and it compares different countries. Really, really worthwhile read. I'd heartily recommend it. Anyway, so we'll page flick through that at some point in the future in another episode. Um, oh, yes, uh, this picture... Uh, I didn't show you this picture, everyone, so don't tell anyone about it. But this picture is of the various. This is all the various options um, that have been announced for, or that are that were in the works for what everyone calls, stupidly calls, Northern Powerhouse Rail. But actually, so so this is kind of like, and oh, this is green on. Ella's going to shout at me so much. Ella, don't shout at me. I'm going to for the for the colorblind people. I'm going to put yellow. That's better. Uh, NPR. So this is NPR here. Actually. Uh, Better, better called so NPR, but I prefer HS3. Some people call it uh, High Speed North. Uh, it's got a load of names. In any case, uh, the orange line here is actually my my proposed alignment for a long time ago. So don't worry too much about that. But the grey lines here are all of the different lines that are being assessed as part of Transport for the North's uh, Northern Powerhouse Rail. And I think the chosen route is going to be this one that comes in. So it's got its own. Dedicated new route into Liverpool, uh, into Lime Street here. Then it's going to go through, and I think it'll have an interchange with Bank Key in Warrington here, which means it'll be taking this route uh, through. Then it'll do its thing up the the High Speed 2 connection into Piccadilly. I think it'll do this weird shenanigans here, uh, and it'll come up, and I think the route they're going to take is... Um, oh, which one was I think... It unless they either have a back in, I think they're probably going to take this route over the um, over the Pennines. Um, I think this might have changed slightly to make the railway a bit closer to Bradford. Uh, 
So this might be a bit more like this now. In any case, the route will probably then continue on into, into Leeds. And then there'll be a bit of a... I think there'll then be a, a kind of a connection up here between um, the existing kind of uh, Leeds to York line to allow a bypassing of um, uh, of Garforth and then straight onto HS2 and then whizzing up here. So I think that is what the final proposed Northern Powerhouse Rail route will be. So... Uh, as I said, none of you know about this. I have not put this slide up. None of you can see this. Next. Um, right, on to something a bit more somber, which I think is relevant, particularly relevant, um, for, for the discussion we're going to have today, actually. And it'll be, a, I'm sure it'll be a kind of a jovial chat when we get to it, but I thought it'd be important to just put it in context of, of why this is important from a contemporary perspective. Um, and frankly, it's that the fact that the railway is still not safe enough for its staff. It still isn't. Tyler Byrne was very sadly killed um, uh, in uh, Surbiton Station, um, he was hit by a train uh, it, during his work, you know, and it's just not good enough. We, we, it's the 21st century. We should not be killing or injuring our staff. It's just not good enough. And it has, um, you know, and, and actually, I think if I skip to the next slide, this, this slide here is a, it shows fatalities in pink and then potentially a, not necessarily a more important, but, a, but certainly an equally as important measure, which is, um, fatalities and weighted injuries. Um, maybe we'll get to chat about this later, Mike. But um, so fatalities and weighted injuries take fatalities and seri- and major and minor injuries and shock and trauma, and combine them into one figure. So a fatal- so the equivalent of a fatality, uh, a hundred, a major injury is a hundredth of a, um, sorry, a tenth of a fatality, and a minor injury or shock and trauma is a thousandth or a, a, a whatever the one like or a, a kind of a. 500th of a um of a proportion and it allows it allows them all to it basically allows us to understand the way that they all uh that you're kind of not just the so something that causes one fatality every hundred years um is perhaps not as significant as something that causes you know ten thousand minor injuries every year so it allows us to have a bit of a balance of understanding risk um so anyway so this is the measure of um staff injuries and fatalities since 2002 2003 i don't know if you have you seen this mike have you seen this no, kind of represented like this um well so i had you know the um fwi yes uh, although i'd never been able to put forward a kind of cogent explanation as you just did so well done um i mean it makes perfect sense and we might as you say we might talk a little bit about some of the earlier stats for mm. the particular 20th century where we don't have that information uh, certainly not in that portrayed in that way. So we've got kind of absolute numbers and some that are slightly more useful, uh, but that that is extremely useful to see because for the trends uh, it, it flags up. Mm. And it, and you can see that actually there's there's no. It'd be nice to have this data for a lot you know over longer, which again we'll talk about later. But certainly in terms of recent years, there is no rapid descent. There's no descending trend. Particularly, you can see overall the FWI are steadily decreasing but not quickly and in terms of fatalities there's not a particularly stable trend you know we 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 have a you know a number of fatalities you know 2014 15 was a really bad year for for safety on the rail on the on the working railway so um overall railways are still not safe enough for staff and this is kind of i think we'll so i'm I'm looking forward i've been looking forward to this chat since since really we kind of actually dr david turner and i thought that it should happen and then we we had an email chat and i'm glad that we're we're having this because i think there's going to be a mixture Mm -hmm. of thinking about the history but also the contemporary context and kind of what we can learn and and um yeah so it's i think it's going to be an interesting one um yes so from that slightly somber note it's um we should have uh we shall have an interesting chat from here on in but without further ado 
Um, it only really remains for me to start the show. Um, welcome to tonight's Real Natter, everyone. Um, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good one. Here we go. The lovely Intercity 225 fades away. Um, we can come back to... I'm very pleased to be able to so we can get our guest faces up here, Mike. Um, right. And, um, and in fact, we start with an image of a uh, fairly horrifying-looking um, rail crash, actually. But before we talk about that, before we talk about that, let's... Mike, let's... introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. Thanks, Gareth, and thanks very much for having me on and for everyone being here. I've been looking forward to this uh, for, for some time. So I am an academic historian. I like David Turner, uh, who's a friend of mine as well. I went through the uh, course at, at York, the university there, and with the Railway Museum. So it's kind of strong, strong background there. I'm now based down at the University of Portsmouth, where I don't do masses of transport history. Although I do do some, I sneak in uh, amongst my other teaching responsibilities and so on. Yeah, I, I realised I realised only too late. So to, that, that I was like, oh, I've not got a witty way to describe Dr. Mike Asbestos' career and sort of what he does. So I stuck historian of transport slash employment in there. That might be like not entirely the perfect description, but hopefully it kind of broadly covers you. <laughs> I think, yeah, for, for the purposes of tonight, it definitely does. Um, so I'm, I'm pushing the two together. So I started off as historian of transport and then got interested in the staff safety side of things. And I'll say a little bit more about that later on because there's one slide in particular yep. that really kind of flags that up. Um, and yeah, I've been lucky enough to, to carry on in my professional life, being able to spend at least some time looking and thinking a bit about uh, the history of safety, history of transport, history of mobility, all sorts of things. And doing some teaching, some research, um, you know, fairly kind of standard academic stuff i think in that sense i'm for my sins i'm on the editorial board of the journal of transport history as well which is always quite fun yeah and i am currently co-leading the railway work life and death project about which i'll say something later all being well so yeah thank, no thanks that's a, a good summary so it hopefully gives gives people an idea if i mean I'm, i think a lot of people in here will be familiar with if not Knowing you, then they'll be familiar with the the Twitter feed of the Railway Work Life and Death Project, which is kind of is a uh, yeah, and it's an eternal source of kind of interesting information, tidbits, and mildly horrifying images of of uh, trepidatious working habits. Yeah, well, absolutely. And the, the nice thing, and I should say about this, is kind of uh, give a, a non-trigger warning at the beginning. You know, one of the things that we're quite clear on in, in the project side of things uh, is that the images we're using, they're all posed images that were produced originally for accident prevention purposes, um, or they are um, kind of press photography photographs that are in the public domain. No, no bodies, um, nothing kind of, uh, nothing that could be, I think, distasteful. Um, yeah in that sense so yeah, it's a very again, good, that. that's a very good point and i i'm i'm ba i'm really bad at remembering to do proper content warnings but this we are going to discuss matters of sort of safety life and death um there's not gonna be anything gory but you know we're going to discuss things that might be kind of um quite unpleasant for people who've perhaps been mm. exposed to some of these situations if anyone's watching who's so so um kind of fair warning on that we'll i don't think there's going to be anything particularly unpleasant but just uh yeah a bit of a bit of a content warning there um 
So let I tell you, let's miniaturize our, our faces and um, and bring the the front of the Daily Mirror from uh, 1921 back. Yes, so, um, absolutely. Mike, tell us about this image, and 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 here we go. Well, I, I was going to start off by kind of giving some context and uh, mentioning Tyler Byrne uh, because it's it's relevant. He's relevant here, and the other recent fatalities and injuries that we hear less about are relevant because, for exactly the reasons you you mentioned in the the, the preamble, you know, we need to think about these issues. The railway is not a safe place uh, now. It, the the story that we might uncover this evening, the, the chat we'll have, might show some improvement. There has been improvement, undoubtedly, but one fatality is still one too many. So it's kind of that sort of context really important. I wanted to to start us off thinking about passenger safety. Ironically, when we're well, I'm kind of more interested in in staff safety on on those grounds. So yeah, Abermule, we had the centenary earlier this year big front page news at the time understandably so head-on collision um how many dead 17 killed i think um you know it, it was undoubtedly terrible stuff and i wanted to kind of get a front page shot of it uh, to to give us that impression that you know, this is stuff that that does make the public news the public eye and that's useful for us in all sorts of ways. At the same time, it's it's not the complete story. And lots of people get missed out. And by and large, that's the staff, both in the past. Perhaps nowadays, it's less of a case, certainly when it comes to fatalities, because they are so relatively rare. Mm. You know, we do see them in the press and, and hear about them yeah, in the news. Yeah. Uh, at the, you know, 1921, that was definitely not the case. And in fact, for much of the, much of the 19th and 20th centuries, that was not the case simply because so many uh, members of staff were being killed or injured at work. Yeah. We've already, um, so, so we are, one, one feature of Real Natter, as you know, is that we do get many questions um, mm. uh, coming through. Uh, some of them, what I'm, I'll do is I'll, I'll queue them up towards the end, I think. So Matt Reed, your question about green and red zone working, I'll, we'll kind of queue, up that, queue that up to the end because I, I think we'll kind of discuss some of the more contemporary stuff and maybe uh, a bit later on. Um, but uh, yeah, good question. Remind me later on, Matt. Anyway, sorry, Mike. So, uh, yeah, prod me whenever you want me to change slides. I'm, I'm the good graduate at the back of the room with the with the slide the, the slide machine, and I right. slot the next one in. Excellent stuff. Yeah, we'll do. So again, all I was going to say on this, you know, in previous round you know, I know um, you had Melanie Osborne on talking mm. about um, signalling and and why trains generally don't meet each other coming, which is of course incredibly important, and and that's that's really helpful. And I should say that for for the passenger side of things, if we're looking back to the past, well, actually right up to the present. Um, Gary Keener and the, the Railways Archive website is a fantastic resource for the passenger side. And I should say thanks to Gary, because when, when I was getting started off with the, the looking at the staff accident side of things, um, I had a chat with him. He's really helpful about it. But what's really interesting, and again, this kind of goes on to, to the, well, the staff aren't really known about in, in the past, at least. Um, I said to him, you know, you, you've got all the passenger, or you're working on the passenger reports with help from the uh, the ORR, which which is great. Uh, but what about the worker reports? Similar sorts of things, but for workers, you know, the, no, there weren't any. Yeah. Well, no, actually, there were. It's just that no one knows about them, and yeah. it'd be really great to find a way to to bring that to public attention and to to make people more aware of what was going on. For again, f for various reasons, we're 
in the project and to a lot of my own research recovering the period up to the Second World War. Um, the problems again with, with issues in terms of data protection and people okay. who were injured but still living uh, after that. And even even when we get to 1939, it's still just possible that there are some some living people who might be named uh, in in the material. So we've got to be quite careful about yeah. that for, for understandable reasons. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. It's kind of contrast between the the public visibility of the passenger side. And I think the, the relative invisibility of the workers' side of things. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, you and, I, you and me both. When it comes to yeah, on on the, the railways archive, archive. Yeah, I also relied heavily on the railways archive as part of my master's thesis. On which is a, it's an incredible resource. So yeah, definitely agree and a shout out for yeah. that. But it's given. But given the scale of resource that is, the fact that it was devoid of of these reports into staff incidents is incredible. You know, it's. It, it it makes that point very crisply how little regard there is for for the for collecting that or until recently how little regard there was for collecting that data yeah i mean it's it's incredible kind of thinking about it you know when so for, again 1921 i pulled up the stats on it um and uh in that year there were 93 passenger deaths and just under 2600 passenger injuries on the workforce side of things there were 262 deaths and uh, just a bit over 16000 injuries you know the the the, the scale of difference is is quite immense you know for, for every passenger that's killed or injured you've got six workers um, being killed or injured so it's it's an immense number and again cumulatively it adds up over the years uh, really quite dramatically and, and quite depressingly frankly yeah so little change for such a long time so yeah I, I think kind of one of the things that i'm particularly interested in then is is trying to put the workers back into this equation and and see about getting the word out about them mm. um so if we skip on to the next slide please yeah sure oh Oh, I tell yeah. you what, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hide our faces. We can still chat, but uh, while our faces are gone, it means that we can see uh, see all these postcards in full. Great stuff. Yeah, thank you. So I don't know whether anyone's run across these these sort of things before. Disaster postcards, and this is this is one of the things where kind of research takes you in really unexpected directions. I'm interested um, in in railway safety and railway worker safety in particular, but I'm also interested in ideas about safety, accidents, risk in the past in general, mm. because I think it's a really interesting way of kind of looking at, at what society deems to be important or not important. You know, accidents generally are things that get overlooked. Oh, they just happen, um, which is, well, I'm sure we'll discuss, uh, quite a, a duff sort of a, an yeah. attitude. Yeah. But for, for much of the past, you know, that really was the way these things have been regarded. Um, so when you combine that then with uh, the, the craze in the early 20th century for sending postcards, people have combined, kind of likened it to the email of the day. Uh, so, you know, with several postal deliveries in any, any given day, millions of these things were being sent. And uh, it was perhaps unsurprising then that, that some enterprising people, and all of these were produced by one uh, postcard producer, Warner Gotthard of uh, Barnsley, um, they were out photographing disastrous things, uh, sticking them on postcards, and people were, you know, selling them, and then people were sending them. So, I think one one thing, it? well, it is really, and you kind of you think a bit about questions of taste and so on. Again, just getting to this idea that the past is quite different. Um, I'm not sure would would people do this now? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, we've what I find quite interesting about the. The, the Gotthard postcards like these is that generally they manage to ferret out um, portraits, you know, taken in life of the people involved. 
So it's, this is quite a nice reminder in this sense. We've got these are all passenger crashes, um, in with a possible exception of I'm just trying to think the Sharnbrook one. So yeah, top the right one might be a, a, a it's an express goods. Uh, yeah, into a, yeah. So that's two goods ones. Yeah, but the other are all passenger ones. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's it's kind of interesting in that one. And I should say about the the um the Chambrick one, uh, which is is nice. Of the two um, it was staff pictured the fireman uh, John Hawley. I had an email about two weeks ago because uh, we put up a blog post uh, about the, the case when it came to the uh, the anniversary, so early Feb. And a day or two after that, I had a, an email from someone saying, "Oh, I'm, I'm his um I'm his great niece." And, you know, I'll dig around and see what we've got in the family kind of records and, and what not to see about the kind of the impact that the, the the crash had on the family, which I think is really interesting, kind of getting to the personal side of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, even, even more kind of small worldish. Um, the it turned out that uh, the, the husband of, of the lady who got in touch used to used to work in history at Portsmouth. Oh, wow. um, so it's uh, kind of small. One of my former colleagues was you know, a colleague of his at the time. So it's uh, one of those funny things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, these these guys are really nice in that sense of we actually get to see some of the people involved. It's incredible how how quickly they pulled these together. Given you know, getting the portraits, throwing the graphics yeah. together. Yeah, it's it, it, yeah. it's it's quite a remarkable miniature industry. It really is. I'm, this is something that I'm desperate to do a bit more work on, as as all academics are. Oh, this is really interesting. I'll do something. I just don't have time at the moment. Um, I've got another postcard of a um, it's First World War of a it's a factory explosion, a munitions factory explosion um, that happened early in the First World War, and the, the little text on it that accompanies it, because you see each of them have a little description about what's happened, and and the people involved and so on. It says, yeah, this afternoon. I oh, know, sorry, this morning. Uh, this factory blew up, and you know, this afternoon we got these these postcards and put this uh, so these images and put this postcard together. Good you think grief. that's incredible? Yeah. It was on the opposite side of the country to where um, to to where Gotthard was based. You know, how's he got this information and got it all together and is producing postcards? Dave, so David Shepherd asks: Was th- was this a postcard company working as a pressure group for safety, or were they just like tabloid journalists? My fear d- is that this was the latter. These were just. This is just a profiteering exercise, right? Absolutely, yeah. And again, what's what's really quite interesting is that for one uh, case, a little bit earlier, not not with this company, but one particularly bad case on the Great Eastern Railway, um, the crash at uh, Whiteham, um, Whiteham, Whiteham, I'm not sure, mm. uh, on the oh, Cromer. Whiteham, right, okay, there we go. The, the one I didn't go for. Brilliant. Um, uh, there's the, the railway company bans uh, the sale of these postcards on the, on the station, because they you know, people going to that station and what seeing oh buy this nice postcard of the crash at this station last week yeah it's not like, I mean it's so, nothing else not good for sales is it no indeed indeed and yeah I think you're right it is it is about profit because they they not not just got out I mean loads and loads of these um, uh, lots were produced sometimes I think as well people would take photographs and the technology then existed to be able to turn them very quickly into postcards so I've, I've got again I've got a number again this is one of the occupational hazards this sort of thing you kind of you turn into a bit of a collector so <laughs> I'll, I'll try and pick these things up as I go um, and yes yeah, it's, it's clear that people are producing these effectively kind of in, in short runs of you know one or two even oh, wow, um, okay. slapping a, a message on the back and sending it off to the friend um, what What's quite interesting then is exactly that is then sometimes the kind of the messages you get on the back of these are absolutely fascinating. Um, I've picked up a few 
that talk directly about the accident. Some people say, oh, I went to see it, like a kind of a great spectacle to go and see. Um, some people say oh, they, they put a cross by the person, say, oh, this is this is dad. Um, he's he's helping get the wreck, clear the wreckage. Um, oh. And then other people kind of complete contrast to that. Uh, there's there's a what you know you kind of think a bit questionable messages in some respects in the sense of you know sent clearly from the, from the seaside saying having a lovely holiday the weather's nice see you soon wish you were here yeah and on the other side you've got this image of death and destruction effectively <laughs> so incredible. it's again again really interesting kind of way of looking at how people understood accidents and in all sorts of fields at, at the time and how much attention or not they they paid to them yeah it's interesting what what was normalized at the time you know for someone to have that that scale of destruction and just sort of yeah just be totally disengaged from it and yeah, yeah uh completely. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating so that this was a little way by kind of virtue of trying to put the, some of the the staff back in and, and showing some of the people involved um so we get some sense because again i think it's important that, that we do look at the individuals in this mm. um if we shuffle on to the next slide yeah so i shall uh, do this and then i shall bring our faces back as well here we are we're back fabulous so this one, I'm probably not going to say all that much about that because I suspect I'm preaching to the converted on this one. But what I wanted to do was get a tiny, tiny capture. All these images come from the National Railway Museum, um, which, as I'm sure you're all aware, has a wonderful photographic collection. And um, I wanted to give an impression of the you know, the variety of, of work that the railways encompassed for the 19th and much of the 20th centuries. We probably... You know, we have in our mind's eye, I think, the, you know, the the trains themselves and the crews and so on. If we maybe think about the, the goods trains as well, then might think about the, the guards on those and you know, station staff. But that's a tiny fraction of, mm. of what the railways were doing, of course. So the workshops, you know, a great example, all that un, unguarded machinery, the belts and so on. Um, which, as you can imagine, yep, perfect, was was less than ideal. Uh, but also, you know, the interest in shipping, in docks, uh, the hotel side of things, the road side of things, so horse and cart to start with, later mm. motorised. Uh, eventually, in the 1930s, they start to get interested in, in aviation as well. So you, you know, the railways are really interesting in the sense that they've got such a diverse workforce in terms of the, the roles that they're undertaking um that we kind of i wanted just to remind us of that and then say well look, there's a lot going on i also wanted to include the, the photo top right which is in some ways misleading but from the first world war and showing uh, women cleaners at, at work and i say misleading you know this this was uh, new for the first world war but women worked on the railways from the outset uh, albeit in different roles often as things like crossing keepers Mm. and so yeah. on so just just a reminder that that there are plenty of women both working on the railways i mean you know a small proportion admittedly uh but uh, in all sorts of different roles as well albeit you know quite traditional roles in terms of the the gender stereotypes of the time yeah it wasn't it, yeah it didn't start with the P pr bang that was happening um you know with the, the the first world war it was sort of as you say right from the start um a few people, yeah, a few people pointing out some very interesting things in relation to the, to the postcards, actually. Maybe we'll pick some of this up later, but I just want to mention it in case I forget. Firstly, Matt Reed, yes, the NRM photo collection is accessible online. First thing to say. Yeah. Uh, second thing, Owen O'Neill, um, just as normalized as we are today to the drip drip of deaths on the road. Well, that's a very good point. Um, and maybe that's something we can 
maybe touch on, mm. on later, but uh, just in case I forget, I think Mike and I probably both concur yeah. on that one. Yeah, that's a good a good analogy, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, to the nearly 2,000 people who die on the roads every year in Britain. Um, yeah, so that's so, right. I, I shall, I'm going to audio describe. I've been forgetting to do my audio description. So, yeah, so we've already talked about the, one of the pictures here, which is th- three women with their hair up, uh, polishing a, a shiny-looking loco, which is very nice. Um, uh, the next image is so. Uh, next up, we've got a nice dock image uh, with with a, with lots of people in flat caps, um, it's, kind of putting things. It's like, in. Just, sorry to jump into it. It's, it's um, Garston Docks um, over Liverpool, and 1913. They're unloading bananas, I believe. Oh, really? Ah, nice. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, um, oh, that's good. So they're they're unloading bananas, which is nice. There's another one here, which is of um, oh, now what's this called? What's the the process called? Well, basically, is, they've got a load of bars, and they're what? What's the? They're using what's the process when you're using rods to basically divert and and push t- trucks along, which is uh, scary. So yeah, absolutely. So this one is actually it's tow roping. Um, ah, there's okay. a rope stretched between the the tender of the engine and the wagon. That's as you can see, it's set to to move off down the other line. Yep. Ah, it's, I see. It's so it's essentially so it's towing it in. Ah, okay. Um. So that's so that the loco doesn't get locked in next to the buffer, is it? Something like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and and then and then you've already talked about the machine, the kind of the workshop, the machining um, kind of mm. going on in the in the bottom right photo there with all sorts of uh, bits of equipment and all sorts going on and people with just huge numbers of of, of kind of unprotected wheels and conveyor belts and and kind of. Um, drive belts and everything hanging all over the place that's not does not look like a nice place to trap fingers frankly uh, no exactly generally a kind of a, a nasty sort of thing to get caught up in yeah, yeah. um so yeah fantastic so so Perfect. um right next, shall we go to the next one yeah yeah please yeah absolutely right okay yeah so we have we have a so, graph so first of all yeah. let's describe the the trend we see and then you can talk um yeah and we can talk about it so there's a graph on here and it's total railway employee casualties from 1900 to 1938 um, and there's a big surge in what appears to be the First World War years. It's just before. Oh, it's just the before, first actually. Yeah, it's just pre-14. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's a gap in the First World War. So there's the the pre just up in the run up to the First World War. There's a great surge in the number of employee casualties. Okay, yeah, tell us about this. So well, this is it's, in some respects it's a bit misleading, and for some of the reasons you've already touched on um, with the, the weighted idea. You know, these are absolute numbers, so they tell us numbers of people who were killed or injured and the majority would have been injuries um what it doesn't tell us obviously is the the proportions in terms of numbers of people employed and so on so the the last uh the the bit where we hit the gap just before we hit the gap the big spike is 1913 and then we've got just under 30,000 employees uh either injured or killed it's about 485 from memory um deaths and the rest are injuries uh, so that's you know that is a massive number of people uh they're about at that point it's just under six hundred fifty thousand people employed so even so i forgot i meant to do the maths on this i'm sorry i can't do maths on the fly i'm terrible about the proportions here <laughs> uh but but you know it's not great um unfortunately and then we got the gap in the middle of the first world war where the Obviously, accidents are still happening, but mm. they, the statistics are rubbish. They stop collecting the statistics because of wartime pressures and so on. So we, we've got this annoying gap where we don't know much about what's going on in any detail. 
Um, and then generally, yeah, down there, we're kind of heading downwards, broadly speaking, in terms of, of uh, numbers of people being injured or killed. It's a bit misleading, again, for, for a couple of reasons, which I should say. This doesn't include any workshop staff. So if you worked in a railway factory, Doncaster, Crewe, Swindon, wherever, um, you're not included in these numbers. And there are various, I won't go into it, there are various tedious logistic reasons behind it, which to do with the way that the government uh, collected the stats. Um, and the big spikes that we get in, there's one that happens around 1907, um, the kind of sudden upward trend is, I think, quite interesting in some respects. It, it's not a real increase. What it reflects is a change in the way that the accents are recorded. So there, I think, they move from accents only being reportable if you are off work for... Now, I'm going to get this wrong. I think it's down from three days to one day. So what we should be yeah. seeing before that is similar sorts of levels to, to that. You know, that that's kind of peak in 1907. Ah, okay, so this, so, so almost to this, is that the extent to which a statistic, statistical change, and this is just, and this period here is really the change in the collection. Is that yeah. sort of what you're saying? Ah, interesting, exactly. okay. Perfect. So yeah. what, you know, what I think we're, we're seeing, and again, what we don't know is, is the number of people who might have been injured at work, perhaps in a minor way, and not report it, and therefore not be off work and so on because they need the money, they need to keep working, um, they don't want to be seen as being awkward, what have you so you know statistics numbers only capture something in any any given time and this is one of those times when we need to be quite careful about them but i wanted to show them to kind of give some trend based on the absolute numbers and I, hopefully people are quite horrified by that and to give some sense of there you know there is some very broad movement downwards which mm. again we see uh, over the 20th century and we might come on say a little bit more about that I suppose actually, well, now would probably be a good time. Sam has said yeah. that. Um, so a lot of my work is really concentrated on the period up to the the Second World War. So whilst I've done a bit on the the post Second World War period, it's perhaps less so. So I haven't got a nice, well, nice-ish graph like this to to show it visually. But you know, we're we're still looking. 1950, we've got uh, just over 200 people being workers being killed, and around 18,000 injured in in a single year so we're still looking at you know really high numbers uh, albeit down from this sort of level we then you know, really we start seeing a drop off in the 1960s and the 1970s for again based on absolute numbers which partly reflects the the declining numbers of staff employed but also in, in kind of relative terms as well so the proportions do start to get better uh, which is not to say they're great um so uh, now, the, this is the bit where I haven't got the, the good comparative stats to show what sort of proportions we're looking at. But I know the one that I could dig out easily was that for 1959, uh, there was one um, PW or S&T fatality for every thousand staff. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's again, mind-bogglingly yeah. sad and, and high on, on that front. Um, but yeah, then we get down to towards the, into the 70s, into the 80s. And you know, things are definitely getting better. They are not perfect, but they are definitely getting better. I think one of the kind of the key things I wanted people to think about from this is that, again, about the high numbers, the problem is that, that um, there's the, I think it's apocryphal quote from Stalin, isn't it, that uh, a million deaths is a statistic, one death is a tragedy. Yes. 
Um, yeah. Again, how true that is or not, I don't know whether it's whether it's real, really something he said. But I think that's that's the case here. That each one of these people you know, was an individual, mm. and they had friends, they had family, they lived and worked in communities. And when something bad happened to them, death or injury, uh, you know, it, it had much wider impacts. And it's it's difficult, I think, with the the numbers game to to recognize that yeah particularly during this period okay in some cases the railway companies provided for their family their you know their next of kin their dependents but during this period i dare say a lot of the people who lost uh, people who they were depending on for income might there's a much higher risk that they ended up in destitution um yeah, it's it's really interesting. The nineteenth century. I'm glad because I wasn't quite sure how to kind of. I haven't got a nice kind of picture of this or to, something to to show about. But I'm glad you mention it because there, yeah, nineteenth century. Uh, there's not until eighteen ninety seven. There's no automatic compensation hmm. for railway work staff if all their dependents if something goes wrong. Um, so they're kind of basically there on a on a wing and a prayer and on the goodwill of the company. So sometimes the companies would reemploy staff, albeit in lesser roles. Yeah. Um, or sometimes they, you know, they might provide a uh, a small payment, typically funeral costs in the event of a fatality. But you do see, and it's kind of it's really sad to see in the the files at Kew at the National Archives, the the letters of supplication coming to the the management board saying, you know, my husband lost a leg or my husband was killed at work. We need some money. Can you can you do anything? And they do oh, as a one off gratuity, you yeah. know, but, but no legal you know, obligation. Um, things change a bit after 1897 when there is automatic compensation introduced. So there's a kind of a, a effectively a kind of menu of compensation. You're looking at about £300 for a fatality and you know, small amounts thereafter, depending on the seriousness of, of the injury and the lasting nature of the injury. So it's, you know, it's it's not great by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and again, particularly in the period before uh 1908 1911 when you start to get things like old age pensions and a little bit of social security you know before that there isn't a safety net in that way so this could have really quite catastrophic effects on that um so gareth williams asks what um what injured means well we've kind of alluded to the fact that it it kind of changed that meaning changes actually so you've alluded to the fact that it it sounds like this trend is related to days off work uh, yeah. So that's a way of measuring if someone is injured, if they've been off work for a certain number of days. Yeah, that's it. For I don't know quite when this changed, but uh, for certainly for much of the period that I'm familiar with, uh, this that was it, exactly it's how long if worked for. What I should have said, of course, is that none of this includes um, health impacts yeah, yeah. either, which could have been a bit. Again, health is always a tricky thing to find out about historically because you know there's so many different you know, long term so many different factors that may play a part in it and so on so it's it's a challenge um there should be some interesting work coming out of the project that we're doing with the modern record center at the university of warwick um which holds the trades union records now the, the nur um, rmt as it is now um have some really interesting records that, that do touch on health so we're, okay. we're bringing them into the project work so hopefully at some point in the future we'll have more to say about that but at the moment yes um, and th- this doesn't include um, uh, shock in the, the the way that we understand it now. These are you know, these are effectively these are bodily injuries yeah. that that count in inverted commas. So yeah. this, uh, basically, kind of if it's visible, it counts. Yeah, um, um, yeah. So so that that definition really changes through time. Shall mm. I um, shall I push it? I'm conscious, Please. Should, uh, time is yes. flying. It's amazing how time flies. It's, 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 it's incredible. So, right. So 
again, it just this was a really quick one. It was more in the vein of showing people some of the faces again of, of the the workers. These are all killed at work uh, on the Great Eastern Railway, featured in the um, the company Staff Magazine. Staff magazines are brilliant things for for research and finding out about what was going on and so on. Um, so we you know each each little extract gives us a little teeny tiny bit of information about the the, the individual concerned. Um, but it is a small, you know, this is, it's not even a tip of the iceberg. It's such a small uh, representation. Uh, but again, I think it's really helpful and important to do it. So that was all I was going to say about that. And you can see the range of it. I mean, there's a range of ages there. And in some cases, it looks like a range of, of kind of uh, employment seniorities as well. So it just shows how, what the wide range of, of mm-hmm. people impacted by um I dare say primarily the people impacted would have been those um, kind of uh, at the lower pay, lower end of the pay scale because they're the ones often doing the heavier labour. But this, this, these images show a, a kind of a wider range of, of people, actually, than I perhaps expected. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it just goes to reflect that the, the, the breadth of roles on the railways yeah. at this at this time. And yes, absolutely, this this idea about the ages of people covered as well um it's coming comes into play and again maybe something we talk about later if there's time yeah yeah sure so um uh i shall press this button all oh, right here we go yeah right <laughs> actually yes. there's a lot of so, pixels so what I might, I might quickly do is um is shrink this down a bit so there it's actually probably make the image a bit clearer there we are yeah. Uh, perfect yeah that's that's great thank you so this this one obviously dangerous well of course um yeah. how wonderful i had to include this one this is really one of the things that got me started on on this so i was doing doing some research on something entirely unrelated albeit railway but not related to, to safety and accidents and i came across this uh, this was featured in a booklet from 1932 and i thought well uh uh-huh. thanks thanks management because it's a management produced booklet uh, I'm sure the workers probably knew that this was obviously dangerous. Um, what a cheek to, to tell them that, and particularly when the uh, the people producing this sort of material you know, do not have that practical day-to-day experience of being out and certainly not doing the heavy manual work that quite a lot of the accident prevention advice was aimed at. Yeah. And I, I've done quite light touch on the accident prevention images uh, tonight. I think this might be the only one that, that I'd asked. I think it is, but there's, a, but you've, there's a plethora on the Twitter feed. It's probably the best yes. place to go, I'd say, to get the images. Exactly. I was going to say, basically, there's, there's a whole other story about the accident prevention side of things, which I think is is fascinating. And you know, if, if time allows in the future, I'd gladly come back um, yeah. to, to talk more because, again, it's really interesting how it, it kind of starts and, and then translates and carries on to the present day in some ways. Mm. But yes, I like this one um, for, for that reason. And I kind of, one of the things we don't have much about is how staff responded to images like this. My initial response is I'd chuck that, chuck that in a bin, frankly, um, because it's, I Obviously, I so, it's so to, describe, to describe this image, we mm. have, because uh, conscious for our audio only people, there is, a, this is a crossover, uh, two tracks paralleling each other with a, with a, a track kind of diagonally connecting the two. Um, there's a, a person, could be a ganger, could be whoever it happens to be, uh, facing in the direction that traffic is going, not facing, sorry, kind of with their back to traffic, if you like. And indeed, there is a locomotive uh, with a train uh, not very far behind them uh, in, a, in a staged image, but this person is very decidedly not noticed the train. And the t- caption here is obviously dangerous, full stop, which, uh, I mean, I, I suppose it is. <laughs> Yeah. yeah it definitely is yeah so uh, thanks yeah that that is important and it's 
I still can't. I look at this every time and just think, really? Come on. We could, could, could we have done better than this in 1932? Mm. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's interesting, I think, for what it, it tells us about the way that the, the management are viewing the staff as well on that one. As I, I say, mean, that's... The, the thing is, I, I suppose what, what this image, and it, when I first saw this image, it got me thinking the same thing. If you look through some of the literature now, you'll find images that are this sort of stupidly obvious. And they're kind of making, they're almost kind of making a point of like, this is obviously stupid, but actually you could find yourself in this situation if you, if, if you just step back with, and so I suppose mm. uh, it's potentially that was the point being made with this image then. I, I don't know. I don't know the context of the image, but potentially it was part of a wider, like, this is obviously dangerous, but have a think about how you could find yourself in that situation in, in, the, in your duties. So, so yeah. Um, I find this one particularly interesting because I think there's there's a bit on, given the context of I I suppose what it gets me thinking is what images that talk about railway safety now. If I if I, uh, you know, if I grab if I grab my guide to personal track safety that I have here from the last time I did my PTS, you know, what images are there in here that look stupid if you if you take them out of context? Mm. Probably a fair few. So um yeah, so it's kind of interesting to interesting to sort of think about think about that. What images will will your kind of um predecessors no the other way around and no yeah what what people who are taking on your project the, the rwld project in a hundred mm. years uh what pictures are they going to be laughing at the network rail put out yeah absolutely um no, that, thank, and again that's a nice link back to the present because that's one of the things where i think that the this sort of material is really really interesting and really important that, that there's a bit of thinking about it and how it's used mm. um partly because of its history because it's quite loaded but anyway that's as i say that's that's one for another time yeah, yeah um yeah. perhaps so yeah, if we if we shuffle on to the next slide, definitely yeah. So, um, aha, right, good. Ta-da, project. Ta-da. So this this really is again. I'm just going to say a tiny bit about this because I'm conscious of time. But um, we are a collaboration uh, between the my my institution, the University of Portsmouth, the National Railway Museum, uh, the Modern Records Centre at the University of Warwick, who have the trade union records. And we're being assisted by the National Archives, who have the railway company records. So it's, we're putting together um, uh, what will eventually be a data set. We're thinking perhaps around 80,000 cases of staff accidents covering uh, what was the UK from, it looks like the 1860s. We found some earlier records than we thought we had through to 1939. I said what was the UK because obviously that included Ireland up to mm. 1921 and then Northern Ireland thereafter. So... We've got some Irish cases in the data that's publicly available at the moment, which is about 6,500 cases. So it's kind of a tiny fraction of what we will have available at some point. Um, but we've got wonderful teams of willing volunteers, and a huge thanks to all of them, uh, based at the National Royal Museum, at the, the Modern Record Centre and the National Archives, who are sifting through various records. So state records, the so state accident investigators of the Railway Inspectorate, so their worker accident reports, um, the trade union produced materials. So that's that's for the NUR and uh, the ASRS, its predecessor union, and uh, for the railway companies themselves. So we kind of get these, this triangulation of, of different official railway industry sources describing uh, accidents to workers. And what we realised about looking at this, you know, there's masses of data, masses of cases, and people don't know it's there. And they don't know that the, the potential value of it, 
for all sorts of people, mm. um, whether that's within the current industry, whether that's family historians, whether it's academics, all sorts, uh, enthusiasts, what have you, because it tells us all sorts of really interesting things, not just about who was involved, but obviously about what, what was happening, the working practices, um, any, in some cases, what steps were then taken to try and prevent similar things happening again. So th- again, there's, there's an awful lot that will come out of this. And I think what's great about it is that it's it kind of, it can reflect what people come to it with. So if you've got a particular question about it, you go, right, well, I need to find out about this. Bang, you can find out about it. That's that's the plan. So uh, the volunteers are transcribing the accent reports for us. In some cases, complete transcriptions. In other cases, kind of giving us a good summary of, of the key details because some of them are really quite long, um, yeah. certainly for transcription purposes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, once again, you know, this would not be possible without the wonderful volunteers who've been doing the hard work on this. It's, as I say, 80,000 individuals who, who had accidents, a tiny fraction of the whole because not all accidents were investigated. Again, a real contrast to today. And forget near misses, you know, that's that's no no one's interested in near misses for you know unfortunately much of the, the period up to the into, well into the 20th century if not the 21st at times um you know i'm glad that things have changed on that one what i'm really kind of interested in this one in that it gives us a, a way into seeing a bit more about working practices in the past uh to understanding what's happened what's changing what's changed hopefully mm. and thinking about some of the issues it raises about who was responsible for accidents say um which is a really really interesting one and how that's changed again i'm quite glad to see there's been quite a lot of change in that over the past 15 or 20 years or so give or take it really is Um, it's a fascinating yeah it's a fascinating transect um and yeah it's a fascinating proxy for lots of social issues not even just within the railway like just a huge amount that can be pulled out of it um, so making it accessible. So yeah, I echo that. All the people who got involved in, in you know Transcription Tuesday and all mm. the other sort of events that you run to have people sort of volunteering on mass. Um, yeah, thanks to all those volunteers who got involved. Um, because yeah, the data, having the data and the data being accessible are two very separate. <laughs> you know, having, yes. having the data trapped in <laughs> whatever scanned documents it happens to be. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. Um, so it's you know it's. It, I mean, again, it's, it's endlessly fascinating, I find, in, for all sorts of reasons you've mentioned that, that we've discussed already. Um, I think one of the kind of key questions, if I can put a question to both you, Gareth, and the audience, mm. um, which is, you know, if, particularly if you hadn't heard of this project before, you know, where should we be spreading the word? I have to say the, the railway side of things is one that I kind of neglected a bit because I kind of thought, well, you know, I come from the, certainly as a historian from from. The, the railway history background and uh, you know that's fine it's a kind of like home turf I want to take it to, to people who wouldn't necessarily think of it like the family historians the local historians um, and and try and work within the industry although again that's that's something where I could definitely do with some advice on uh, but yeah if, if anyone's got any suggestions about where we should promote it how we should do that to make people more aware of it all the resources are free um, so you know we want people to use it that's that's going to Kind of give the most back to the, the volunteers who've been involved in transcription, but also again uh, as a means of kind of marking the, those who are named in it uh, as well, and yeah, kind of recognizing yeah. what they've been through. Yeah, it's. Um, so. I mean, my gut instinct. I I think possibly they're already involved as an organisation, but it would be the um, the kind of the people who study safety as a science rather than a, a history, and kind of 
potentially look at modeling the way that interventions alter um uh, alter outcomes so the the railway safety and standards board would be the organization within the industry that my gut instinct but i think are they not already actually interested in the project or engaging with it so well um greg morse Ah, Greg. Is. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and he's been really supportive from from the outset, and again, an endless source of advice and um, and support there. So, a big thanks to to him uh, as a name check, and you know, because that it falls within partly within his role to think a bit about the the learning from from the past side of things. So, yeah, we've got you know we've we've had some contacts in, and again, the the ORR have been very helpful oh, okay. to us. Again, just just like they have with Railways Archive, they lent us some of the volumes mm. of records that we could then scan and make available for transcription. And hopefully, we will be able to make those available publicly in in due course. Um, so it's it's just a question of kind of trying to work out what the best the best tack is, what's going to be most useful for people in the industry now. Uh, on that yeah. front and again you know i come at this as a, as a an academic uh, i'm not in the industry i don't have that practical experience so i don't know what's gonna be most useful so actually kind of talking with you all is is really helpful for me on that front and for the project as yeah, a whole there's definitely i mean there's definitely i mean we should have we should definitely have a, a long chat outside of this forum uh, a, a kind of a longer deeper chat where time isn't kind of uh, screaming mm. at us because it would be really interesting to, to unpick the thing that jumps into my head is 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 looking at how safety and so understanding historical safety interventions so some of the things that we know were being done to improve safety and then looking at the data and seeing how how they had an impact and then using that to potentially model the impact of changes that might happen now and what and, and what we might expect to see as a as an impact on safety now and what those numbers might look like mm-hmm. um obviously there are lots and lots of variables at play but that could be interesting. It could be so if if a particular decision was made about um, even even like management structure or 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 oversight or things like that, and how that cascaded down to a safety. So so management changes, how those manifested in terms of safety, that's interesting because it's the sort of thing that's interesting. It's interesting for the unions to understand mm-hmm. what the change structure, you know, uh, employment structure change, structural changes, management changes are. But also if we're approaching a period when the railway is going to change again in terms of who's in charge or or what yeah. the structure is that has always had a negative impact on safety nationalization yeah. did not reflect well in terms of in in terms of safety in the immediate aftermath and privatization certainly didn't in mm. the immediate aftermath of massive structural change unfortunately the important stuff ends up slipping through the cracks with safety so so for me it's interesting to look right we've got this data set what management changes happened how did that then result in safety changes can we build up a case against or or what can we learn from that to minimize those impacts well that's great that's really interesting again think about it so one of the data sets that we got behind the scenes that that we're cleaning and make trying to get you know as accurate as possible before we make it public uh covers the the interwar period so we get um grouping grouping coming yeah, out so absolutely. i really wonder what will come out of that mm. so that's yeah that's fascinating yeah, yeah, that'll definitely be really interesting to see what whether indeed that that manifested in in safety slipping through the cracks, or if it you know, maybe resulted in positive change. That'll be really interesting to look at. Mm. Um, uh, we, I mean, we can run on a little bit tonight. That's, I, I don't mind that. It's more your time that I'm worried about. Um, shall we? Shall we? Um, yeah, let's please let's move on. Let's do it. Yeah. So, um, oh crikey! So, they, they, so here is a sketched image. Uh, railwoman's so, sad death near edinburgh with a, a very rapidly sketched image and someone uh what appears to be they look a bit like because of the style of anime they kind of look like they're wearing a, a frock but anyway they're they're collapsing in front of a train and it looks all quite tragic and everyone's quite 
there's, a, there's a chap in the background with his head ha, ha, hand on his hat. Everyone looks kind of quite concerned. Uh, tell us about this image. So I wanted to, again, I wanted to include this one, but partly because your description is absolutely brilliant. And again, it's because it's flagged up something I hadn't really spotted before in this, because I know the context and I didn't give you that context. Mm. And you know, this could be this could be a passenger, a female passenger who's fallen in front of a, an oncoming express, and we've got a railwoman who's dashing out to save her. And as it, as it says, the title, um, it, you know, it, it talks about the railwoman, um, mm. or the the, you know, the the caption for the image. Um, however, what we've got is two railway workers. We've got um, Robert Watt, um, foreman carriage cleaner, and carriage cleaner Wilhelmina Gardner. So the woman is uh, is a railway employee, and both end up being killed in this this incident, which took place on the 9th of July, 1913. At again, I'm probably going to mispronounce this one. Uh, Sorton Station. That sounds uh, about right to me. Okay, great stuff. So, uh, what what's now a suburb of Edinburgh um, on the, the North British Railway at the time, hmm. and they were again they were at work cleaning carriages. And they were waiting for an express to pass. And the, the accident report says, uh, unaccountably, Gardner turned back and stepped onto the connection about five yards in front of the engine. Watt turned back and endeavoured to pull Mrs. Gardner clear of the connection. But both of them were struck by the engine and sustained fatal injuries. What we, This image, it should be said, it comes from the, the Illustrated Police News, which was a rather lurid publication in the sense of you know, why go for uh, a, a kind of slightly more tasteful image uh or, or difficult with something like this admittedly or, but but why do that when you can kind of really get a, a dramatic sensationalized yeah, yeah. image out of it so they, they were well known for that uh but you know it's the only image in inverted commas of the, the incident that i found and certainly it's, i think it's, it's at least fit for consumption um in that sense so it kind of again it's it's a useful reminder there about um what's going on about who's involved in working on the railways and and what happens? Uh, the the thinking is that they were trying to cross the lines to get to a, a mess room, uh, which was on the other side of the, the tracks. And afterwards, the company did install a mess room on both sides um, of of the tracks, so to prevent people going across the lines. Um, what's what's interesting, and I always find again the press reporting of this is it talks all about Robert Watt and about how heroic he was. You know, no doubt he was. But it, it barely mentions uh, yeah. Mrs. Wilhelmina Gardner, and in in some of the reports they get her name completely wrong, um, which you know we don't know anything about her. We know a little bit more about uh, Watts, and it's the Carnegie Hero Fund um, gave provided some extra money for his wife and four children who were you know left as dependents above the above the statutory compensation. So. You know, it's it's just again this reminder about thinking about the, the individuals involved and the, the people that we get these details from the the data the reports that are in the in the project data set um if we could go on to the next one yeah sure again I was, yeah, I was, I was quite conscious of just thinking a bit about trying to make again think about making people visible um and what what's quite nice about some of the data that we get out of the project is that we get quite a long run now robert stanbury's case is really interesting because he first appears in in the, the accident records in uh, 1911, 17th of August 1911, when he is involved in an accident to Fireman Price Harris at, again, I, I, I've chosen all the wrong names for this. I'm going to say Pont Dolgoch. Yeah, Pont um, Dolgoch. Yeah, yeah, it's got a Torbach, so it's a slightly long O. Uh, yeah, yeah. Perfect, you're right. You. Pont Dolgoch. Yeah. 
um, on the on the Cambrian Railway. So not, in fact, not very far away from Amber Mule um, by by chance, no, although actually, on the no. stretch of the line. Um, single track line, token system in operation. Uh, one evening he is uh, going to exchange a token with a train that's passing through, um, but he's only got one arm, so he can't hold a light and exchange the the token. So he he rigs up a um, a stool, pops the lamp on the stool so that the the um, fireman can see the for the exchange of the token. Uh, unfortunately, he gets the stool slightly too close to the edge of the platform, and the fireman bumps his arm on it. It's obviously a very minor injury because uh, it doesn't say anything more about what you know, what the nature of the injury was, just that he he bumped his arm. Mm. Um, so yeah, thankfully nothing serious. But yeah, this what's great about it, we've got a you know a disabled railwayman who's found a workaround and uh, is still at work. He's a station master yeah. Um, yeah. For, for here. It's. Um, again, quite interesting. It doesn't doesn't tell us anything about how Stanbury lost his arm, and one of the, the we know about that because one of the, the um, one of the nice things about the project work is that we we put up a blog post about Robert Stanbury saying oh, it'd be really interesting to know how he lost his arm, but we don't know about it. You know what's going on, um, and someone who read this, uh, Derek Savage, got in touch to say, oh right, I've I've got an interesting crossover with my family history, and here you go, I found out a bit more about him, and oh, wow. uh, he. Yeah, it was, it was lovely. So he, he dug up the, the images via the people mentioned here um, and got in touch with the family, he managed to track down the family of Robert Stanbury, um, who kind of said, oh, yeah, we knew about him from the, obviously not personally, but from the the, the family stories that were passed down about um, how you know he didn't let leave the let the loss of the arm get in his way. He, he learnt to write again with his left arm in um, beautiful copper plate script, they said. Um, and he was a prize-winning, uh, he, he won prizes for his station gardens. So he got oh, really interesting character. Yeah, fascinating character, yeah. What, what we do know from the, the um, other cases we were coming, he had a couple of other accidents himself uh, that, that before, sorry, after the loss of the arm that were recorded on the Cambrian. But before that, he lost the arm actually in 1868 um, when he was employed as a porter on the uh, Neathan Brecon Railway. So we've got this really kind of long-run uh, of information about him again thanks thanks to a you know a contributor from outside mm. who's managed to dig up some more information and get the photo which is really valuable um and we find out a little bit more about you know the nature of work what happened and the the steps that he took as an individual to work around something that might have been meant you know he might not have got a job, a job elsewhere so it's got a really interesting insight i think by looking at that individual level into to kind of how people lived and worked on the railways in the past absolutely yeah yeah there's so much to, i mean there's such a fascinating story so much to unpick there but um mm. yeah, yeah so if we, if we go on to the, the next slide again so, yeah. i just again think about that that personal connection very very brief i wanted to include these um so these are a couple of items one of which the the um, your personal safety booklet was from the early 1960s issued by BR and it's R Eggerford has written his name on it. Now I don't know for sure, but I think that's probably uh, the, this is something that I picked up along the way. I think this is um, ro- probably Robert Eggerford who was involved in an accident, injured uh, whilst working um, in Swansea in the 1920s, and the, the dates kind of check out. So I think it probably is is him. Uh, but we got this nice kind of, I think, uh, that tangible connection. So something that he actually held, mm. um, and uh, it kind of makes it slightly more more tangible, I think. And and likewise, the um, Yestin Nash, 
uh, on on this one appearing in the both the image and in what we've got on the right hand side for those not familiar is a, a memorial card um so you see the black border around it again indicating yes. the death he was was killed at work in um uh, bah, 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 where was he killed at work uh Brinanen on the midland railway in 1914 and he appears in the database and this morning card came up on ebay last week um and as soon as I saw it, I was like, right, must get that because that's you know, what an amazing link to this, that's to this incredible. man. And the image came out of the, um, the Herald of Wales and Monmouthshire Recorder, the August publication um, for August, in uh, June 1914, courtesy of the National Library of Wales website. And if you haven't, if people haven't used that resource, the National Library of Wales got a brilliant, um, freely available scanned copies of both English and Welsh language newspapers that relate to Wales that they hold so really really useful resource uh, for us all so again there's all sorts of things about that tangible connection to the the individuals involved in the past and kind of actually seeing the, the person I think that that's really important and it's what's so valuable as project it's that and, and we've alluded to it several times through through this and that's why I find the project fascinating is that is that the data is important and really valuable. And actually, you know, we talk about statistics versus tragedies. The statistics are fascinating, are really important and interesting and, 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 and a really powerful tool in understanding uh, not just the past but now. But also it's the connection to those individual stories, not just the tragedy but the, the, the social interest. Of, of what, okay, what, yeah. what, tell us, what, what was Yestin Nash doing? What was, what was his story? What was uh, each of these individuals absolutely fascinating to, to kind of – um, each of these stories, the, the characters, the people that we learn about, what their you know what their life was like, how familiar lots of the things they were up to were to us now, mm. and yet how different their lives were. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and it's again, it's been, you're absolutely right, and that's I think that's that's I'd like to definitely like to come back to that point about how familiar a lot of the things are in some ways. Mm. Um, it, it, just in a second, but one of the nice things about this is that you know we have had uh, quite a lot of contact from from people who said oh yeah i found my great grandfather in in your uh, database and really? you know, now we know how he lost his leg you know he never spoke about it mm. um or whatever and likewise we've been able to help people as well recently we had uh, a gentleman get in touch and say i'm trying to find out about my grandfather um we know he had a railway accident we don't know much about it more than that and we started to dig around and although we don't have his accident in the database through a kind of process of elimination, applying a little bit of, of knowledge and by asking people for help, often by the, the wonderful medium of Twitter, Twitter is a great place at times, um, you, we've got some responses. We've been able to find out a little bit more about him because mm. people out there are interested and really generous with their time. And that's that's been really heartening, particularly you know, given all of the, the difficulties over the last year or so and, and the challenges that everyone's faced, the, the generosity that people show about you know, a topic that, could be seen as kind of very discomforting and un, unprepossessing. Uh, you know, people are really interested in it and and trying to think about it, which I think is is great. I mean, the railways were one of Britain's large, well, Britain's largest employer. If you think, about, if you kind of forget the different companies, you think mm. of the railway as one thing. Yeah. They've been Britain's largest employer for a very, very long time, which means that that's a lot of social history, a lot of genealogy, a lot of individual history within a data set like this that's a huge yeah. amount of individual stories um yeah there there are very few people in the, in this country who don't have some historical connection to the railways because the railways you know at their peak 650,000 
people employed, you know, the best mm. part of a million people employed. And in, in, if, if you kind of extend, look at some of kind of spread those wings a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. You know, just huge numbers of people who are involved in some way. So it's as a data set, it, it's it's going to be a useful resource for people interested about their family history. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. yeah completely. Absolutely. So what I'm going to do is press this button. And I think something changed, so um, you're going to be small, and I'm going to have to resize you again <laughs> because Skype changed it again. But make me bigger. <laughs> there we are. I've made you bigger. There we go. Um, Mike, we've got you back. Got us side by side. Uh, we, we've we've run on by ten minutes, but uh, I, as long as you don't mind, uh, it'd no. be nice to pick, yeah, just pick up on some of the thoughts people have, any questions, mm, and any, and kind of open the discussion up a bit. Um, thanks for the the slides. Fantastic. Really interesting. Kind of bits and pieces, and sort of rounding it out. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, people in the chat, any questions? Um, uh, Mike, if you've got any thoughts and, and sort of, I suppose I've kind of been asking you questions as we've gone through, so I, I don't have so much. But yeah, anyway, so. Um, I suppose my my question, and this, uh, yeah, this is tricky, this is a question as much for me as, as anybody else and the project as anybody else, is thinking a bit about the, what use can we make of this within the, the industry today and this material? Because you know, we're only going up to 1939, the shape of the industry is so radically different mm. and has changed so much. And uh, yeah, this, this has been some of the discussions that I've had with, with people, um, including at the RSSB, a bit about, the, well, you know, it's, it's, is it too different to be useful or is there still material in here that could help? And one of the things I think is really interesting, and it came out um, particularly publicly, I think, after the, uh, the Margam um, incident, um, when uh, Gareth Delbridge and uh, Michael Lewis lost their lives, um, uh, I can say last year, I think it's 2019 actually. 19, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, the people, what was reported often in the press then was, uh, you know, obviously Network Rail was criticised, uh, and rightly so. Uh, but the kind of one of the things that seized on was this, you know, they're using Victorian methods uh, in terms of uh, protecting staff uh, work on, on the tracks. And, you know, actually, it's, yeah, there is, that, that is the case. In yeah, some respects. It is. And yes. So that that's that's one where I think the project might have a bit of purchase in some respects. In that you, those those cases are all right. The motive power is different, um, but essentially, what's going on in terms of the, the, you know, the working under live conditions? Again, lots more of it happening in our period and, and you know, before 1939. But still, it's it's kind of it's there are similarities there. So I wonder if that may be one area. But again, I'm very interested in what people have to to say and, and, and suggestions about that. Yeah, there's there's um, I mean, there are a few comments in the chat that are, that are pinging up. I, I don't know to what extent you, you're able to see those. And I, maybe I said one thing you can do is flick through in the it, once this is saved, all the chat saved. So if you're interested, mm. you can kind of come and flick back through the comments if you're interested. Um, there's a few things people pointing out ideas for how you can reach out the project. Two two right. things I have to kind of to respond to, to to that to what you said there. Um, the the second is going to be answering Matt Reed's question about green and red zone working because it's relevant mm. to what you're describing and and I'll explain what those terms mean as well. The first is another thing I thought of in terms of the usefulness of this data set. Um, one of the things that we are doing better in the rail industry is is risk management and, and numerical so so quantitative rather than qualitative risk management. Mm. But one of the challenges we have is that. In thinking, you're so in a sense, that's trying to think of all the possible things that could go wrong, and then accounting for them. Most of them drop away very quickly by our working mm -hmm. practices or by our. You know, for me as a designer, I'm trying to design out all these things before mm -hmm. any worker gets anywhere near the railway. Yeah. Um, 
one of the challenges we have is is in a railway that is safer, where there are fewer incidents, we are perhaps perhaps risking forgetting some of the things that we've eradicated to the point where we might come full circle and then start, this might start happening again. Mm. So a genuine thing for me that's useful is, and it's something that I dare say you've got in your data set, is listing off all the different types of, of incident uh, and, and then in some way representing that as a, you know, understanding what those, what those are, what the risks are and what, what potentially leads to some of those and actually building those into current risk models to make sure that as a designer, I know all, so it's not necessarily every single individual, but grouping these into kind of fairly mm-hmm. obvious categories that I dare say will parallel what the issues are now and, and ensuring that those are caught at a design and, and, and then at a kind of safety management, you know, uh, kind of staff management level as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's really interesting because some of that we've tried to do from the outset in terms of certainly in terms of grouping uh, particular cases together so we can say, you know, this we can fairly easily sort and look at the data in terms of, you know, the location into if it's track related. So um, it gets a little bit more complicated after that because we then get the kind of qualitative, uh, the report side of things where we tried to reproduce as much of the, the written report as possible rather than kind of breaking it down into easily categorizable chunks, as it were. So that would require a little bit of work to go through and well, quite a lot of work to go through yeah. and um, and kind of pull about pull, pull out some stuff. But that would certainly be possible. And yeah, that's a really useful um, pointer there. Thank you. So that, so that's, so that's just another thing that pinged is mm. something. So you know, for example, in the common safety method, which is our main tool that we use to, so essentially trying to list out every conceivable hazard and risk, and and, and, and actually having a having almost a crib sheet of those based on past accidents. So obviously yeah. the the industry's changed, so there are lots of new ones that we have to deal with. But actually, a lot of those are things potentially we've forgotten about that are, are worthy for us to frame and think about. So that, that's potentially an interesting one, and, and one way that could manifest would even be like just a just a doc, just like a single document or a, a sort of a brochure even of like things mm-hmm. that that used to happen that kind of don't happen anymore, but that we still need to think about. That'd be interesting. Um, mm. To come to Matt Reed's point uh, mm. about green zone, red zone. So for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what what these two things, what these two names mean, they often have you know they also you hear them as, as open and closed line working. Um, generally, red zone is is working under an arrangement where trains are still running. Green zone is working under an arrangement where um, timetable trains are not running. It doesn't necessarily mean that all trains aren't running. You can still have engineering trains within a green mm-hmm. zone um, work, kind of safe system of work. But uh, generally, red zone is much more dangerous. You're working under Victoria, exactly as you describe. You know the most primitive types of protection. You know lookouts with a flag. And, and things like that. Yeah. that that's that's still a way we work on the railway today absolutely baffling um so my opinion is that red zone it should be entirely eliminated i don't see there there is yes it means that, that you know there, there are certain types of little work that people will huff and gruff and say oh but it's so easy to just walk out on track and no i i i don't think it is a situation where we should have we're in the 21st century we should have more sophisticated protection methods you know um, and whether that means that people are working amongst trains but there is, for example, you're making use of a modern signalling system like ETCS, where they know there are workers and therefore there is a protection. You don't need to have signal protection. There are think there are ways to think about what that protection looks like. But traditional red zone working, where you're relying on a, a lookout with a flag, is just not should not be happening on today. Okay, right. so right, Gareth, I'm really pleased to hear you say that because I it staggers me again, partly because of the sheer number of cases that we see in the data and again we're coming up to 
the what will be the centenary and i'm going to try and do some work with i haven't approached them yet so i probably shouldn't say it publicly i don't know but um with network rail and others about this but um stapleton road in bristol there's a particularly bad incident in september 1921 where uh, um great western train ran into a, a gang of seven plate layers six uh five of whom were killed one of whom injured only one you know, walked away unscathed um quite unusual for you know for so many to be killed in one go so it made the press for once because of the numbers involved i'm really keen to do something along the lines you know it can be done it's done for abermule which i know is a different scale and different set of circumstances and so on but i'm keen to do something to say well actually look this we could perhaps mark this in some way you know a a plaque or something whatever an event i'd like to be in contact with the families of those uh, the descendants of those who are involved um and, and see what we can do and use it in that respect, both as a, a, a marker, but also a symbolic gesture, perhaps, to say, well, look, this, you know, there are loads and loads, so many people who have been adversely affected by working on the railways, and there's there's nothing really done to, to mark that. This this could be a, you know, a nice, nice isn't the right word, but a good way of doing that and getting a bit of traction on it and, you know, using it again within the industry as a learning uh, to say, well, okay, what what did go wrong? How did this happen? Because, as you say, that red zone working is was the issue, and for much of our period, is uh, is is the norm. And you know, the provision of lookouts it always staggers me that across certainly before 1939, provision of lookouts was um, it, in most cases it was advisory in the sense of the the gang could choose whether or not to appoint one of their number to act as a lookout. Well, you know, this is the the whole thing about the accident investigations that were undertaken at the time, which underpin quite a lot of the project data. They tell us what the investigators thought was going on. And the investigators come to a particular conclusion, which is generally, oh, well, the workers were careless. Well, no, it's not that at all. Again, this wouldn't happen now. I'm really pleased to say, again, the the conversation I've had with Network Rail have been very interesting on this and about the fair culture approach. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at the, the workers and behavioural sides of things is kind of the last thing they'll turn to. Uh, back in our period, it's really the first thing they turn to because it's a default. And in, in those cases, it's, you know, it's, you don't you miss the fact that workers take perfectly reasonable decisions under the circumstances. If you're in a PW gang and you've got seven men to do the work and you've got a set amount of time which you've got to do it and the company expects you to and you'll be in trouble if you don't do it, why would you take a man off the job to act as a lookout and it's going to slow you down by not having the, the, the manpower because again it was all men at this time um uh, and and get in trouble with the company you know you guarantee trouble whereas you might be all right without a lookout it's just again the, the lack of lookouts always staggers me in the past um, and the fact that we're still so to, for people thinking oh surely we don't have people communicating with you know a vuvuzela a whistle or a flag <laughs> Just to, this is, this okay, this document is the slightly out of date. This is the 2013 document. I don't know if it's actually been updated yet. It might still not have been. Anyone who's done their PTS recently, tell me in the chat. This is RT3170, and I can't quite see my own. There is. Perfect, yeah. That's the section there. That's lookout warning. That's still an approved safe system mm. of work on the 21st century railway. That's, yeah, quite. Uh, it's, it's staggers belief. Um, beyond belief anyway lots so quite a few things coming through um uh yeah people saying i've heard people some people say there's nothing wrong with using lookouts i don't agree i'm and i'm willing to be outspoken about it i think it's it's yeah it's just completely 
it's just not acceptable. You've got there are other tools, peewees and and sort of the the, the kind of uh, train operated towers and uh, and sort of there are other options and systems available. And, and people have been looking into those since at least the 1930s. You know, I found some evidence of this systems being trialled in France and in the UK to um, provide audible and light warnings you know that were triggered by sensors some distance out from the, the train mm. arriving and so on so you know again there are problems with that there's no doubt about it uh, at the same time you know we, people have been looking for different solutions for for over 100 years uh, sorry for approaching 100 years yeah, yeah i don't know whether the comeback to that one is well they obviously haven't found one that works because we're still relying on on lookouts but you know, there's, there's an economic issue that comes into play there on this is, one. There's an economic issue. There's the pressure, the eternal pressure of, of of an operational railway trying to run around people maintaining it. Yeah. But we, but but part of that comes from I think we've got we've got new tools. I'm I'm, I'm chatting on, and we should tell me to stop and, and, and wrap up as when you when you want to do. We've got new tools. We've got we've we've got things. I suppose the new tools I'm talking about is not so much within the industry, but we've got new tools to inform the public. And to keep mm-hmm. the public and the travelling public understanding why decisions mm-hmm. are being made, the Network Rail Southeast Twitter account is one that I constantly just want to praise and hold up as a perfect they're example. They're good, aren't they? They, ex- they do threads explaining what's going on. They explain technical issues. They don't patronise yeah. the public by trying to oversimplify. They explain what the problem is in clear language, and that mean and it will have resulted in people having a better understanding and a better respect mm-hmm. for the challenges they're facing. That needs to go not just for reactive stuff, but proactive stuff. And we're getting better. Network Rail are getting better at the proactive. We're doing some engineering work stuff. So I want to see us being better, being more comfortable with interrupting the public in uh, for short bursts, but being but but it being protected working. I I just I don't think there's a a space, a sphere for unprotected work anymore. This is a thing that always gets me. So some of my other work has looked at about. You know, real hornet's nest. I don't want to kick too too much about how health and safety is perceived. Um, and I've, I've done some work on this with a colleague from the 1960s through to the present, and mm. you know, health and safety gone mad and all the rest of it. Um, at the same time, you know, when you when you boil it down to the, the fundamentals behind this, is is anybody really going to disagree with the the idea that people should be coming home from work safe and healthy? Um, no one, surely, no one in their right mind would would disagree with that. And it's the then you kind of say well, work out the implications of that. Well, if that's the, that's the aim, then what does it take to get there? And if that then means there's going to be a little bit of inconvenience for the, the travelling public or for freight services or what have you, then again with good explanation as to to why, saying well look by doing this we are saving these lives or we are helping protect these people. Yeah, that I think would carry a lot of weight. Yeah, and it comes to bigger, and ultimately, as with all these things, these are nebulous subjects that, that interact, that lots of different things intersecting. This is why, as engineers, we like to build a railway that doesn't require any maintenance. This is why, so whenever people talk about gold plating, I don't like that phrase because it usually masks someone having a lack of understanding and wanting to pull down capital mm-hmm. costs for no reason. The reason that we fr- often front load costs of projects is because we don't want to have people on track in the first place. We're trying to design it in such a way that you don't require anything other than perhaps automated uh, maintenance mm-hmm. anyway so it comes back to lots of things in terms of safety is is that is, is that broader picture anyway i've digressed yeah. substantially so um uh yeah no that lots of interesting things coming up in the yeah lots of different things like should a train be the lookout you know park a train to protect the track in front of it very interesting point david shepherd network rail have trialed that sort of thing um and it partly comes down to resources of you have to have a, a driver in place which is adding cost mm-hmm. um one of the options was the uh, was actually there was a train that was a bit of a disaster actually, um, and it was sat in it was sat in Darlington for absolutely ages because I think it had 
all of its wheels were flat and it was but it's a train that essentially has skirts that open out and it parks and by parking obviously it's it's signal protected and mm. then skirts come out drop down and you've got an, an, an all everything's undercover nicely lit you've got a crane so you can do work that's a cool. clever idea but it just but, but people mm. were like oh it was a bit of a faff and I'll just put some people out red zone working again and it's fine. So mm. there's just that bit of a disconnect of that, that momentum of like, well, basically it's fine, so we'll stick with what we know yeah. rather than making use of what is actually quite a clever idea. It's Yeah, this I think this comes back down to that that attitude of, of and we're all guilty of this at times, I feel. You know, it's like, well, it won't happen to me. Mm. You know, it'll be all right. It's, it's been fine in the past. And I'm not going to say what are the chances because – you know that that is possible to calculate broadly speaking yeah, yes um so but you know i think then people take that kind of perhaps that attitude in at all levels probably, and i think that's why and that's where this project is interesting because it's not just oh it was in the it was back in the in the old black and white times and so everything was unsafe and blah and blah the work that you've done as part of the 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 wld project is Showing that there was there were efforts to minimise worker casualties, showing that there were processes to educate staff, mm. showing that there was uh, that actually there was an understanding of the fact that this was not normal. You know, there was there was still an understanding at the time that it was, there, were, there were all these tragedies going on. It wasn't the case that this was oh, it was just something that happened. And actually, we can learn from that now because some of the attitudes that you'll see then are the same attitudes as you have now. And mm. uh, so there's a lot to there's there's a, a definite kind of feedback loop of us of the, of the project and, and us being informed it, it both on a data level but also in the broader sort of social context as well. Mm. Um Mike that's been absolutely brilliant. Um mm. I've uh, I've enjoyed that tremendously. Uh, it's 20 we're 25 minutes late. That's Sorry, fine. Yep. <laughs> um right uh, very quickly I'll do my uh, closing bits and pieces uh, as oft I do. Um so uh, in audio-only mode. Hopefully this has been okay for everyone. Thanks for listening in audio-only. We are available on all podcasting platforms, I think, mostly. Um, next thing is... Uh, oh, yeah, my normal adverts of Patreon, Discord, and PayPal. I'm not even going to... You know where those are, everyone. Um, do that if, if, you so, if it so pleases you. Um, uh, in the Discord, many things happening, particularly if you're a Patreon person. Pay attention to the Discord. I need your answers. Um Oh, I've got my so two plugs from me before we go back to to Mike. Uh, plug number one: uh, if you haven't already watched Tim's uh, latest, uh, the architecture of the railways built, it was brilliant. Uh, this Lisbon station was absolutely stunning, uh, and we went to Benelli Viaduct and we went to Sheffield. It was great fun, and then obviously watch it next week too. Uh, next advert thing is, and and you've done this course, Mike, so you're familiar with this course right well yeah i i did it in the the pre-david days oh my uh, goodness such things exist yeah I, quite <laughs> uh yeah the, the 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 master's degree in railway studies uh apply now if you're interested in that sort of thing uh in fact i know there are several people who've done this course in the uh in the chat now barry where where, where are you you were in there a minute ago um, uh, yeah yeah i was gonna say i bet you know barry yeah anyway yes. so uh <laughs> yes so um uh this is uh I'll just look at it. This is, is this York? I think it might be York, yes. you know. It yes, is it York. Is. There's the Minster in the background yeah. uh, and those lovely uh, double slips uh, going on. Anyway, I digress. Uh, I yes, just... uh, look into that. Uh, fantastic course. The only reason I've not done it is because I've uh, not found the time, 
but I, I, I will definitely be a, a person who does this course at some point in the future. Uh, lots and, of cool people from the industry do are, are involved in it. Uh, you know, David Horn did some talks within uh, last year's or the year before. Uh, just lots of cool people get involved. Uh, anyway, it's brilliant. Uh, I can, next, oh, go on. Can I just, I, I'll just chip in on this one. I, I can say very happily on this one because I'm the external examiner for the course, <laughs> so I get it's fascinating. I mean, I, I I'm going to be interested in it anyway, but. Um, there's really, really interesting work that the students produce, particularly when it gets to the dissertations. And it's always a, I've just, I've read a batch of it recently and I've got a batch that's just come in to read. And it's against interesting topics that, that David's put together on the, the taught side of it. And then the, when it gets to the research side of it, there's always interesting stuff that comes up. So, you know, it's, it is a really, it's a well constructed, well taught course. And it just produces some fascinating, fascinating material. Yeah, I, I, I think either I think well, presumably it would have been last year, or Dr. David Turner used the advanced passenger train rail natter as a question, as part of an essay question, I think. Um, because I did a counterfactual and and it kind of and I tried to unpick some of the assumed things. I tried to unpick the idea that there'd be some mm. radical change and that everything basically that there are bigger there's a bigger picture than the railways in terms of what changes people's traveling patterns etc etc and he used it as a subject so it, I, I don't know whether that makes people interested or or put <laughs> off in any case it's i just put that out there um yeah go and get involved right so next thing oh yeah of course the tease for before before we come back to mike the tease for next week's rail natter it's the one year anniversary special <laughs> rail natter we've been doing this yours is the last of the of the episode 51 which is the 52nd episode um <laughs> the, this is the one year anniversary. technically this is the one year anniversary that we've just done but i put the 52 as the one year anniversary because it means that we've definitely covered an entire year date wise um so um yeah a year of these good grief uh yeah. So there's going to be all sorts going on for this. There's going to be uh, the different, the, the longest episodes, the, the the most popular episodes, the, the all all the stats that you could possibly imagine are going to be in there. Plus, all the Patreon people are going to be in a Zoom chat uh, in a large group. Possibly, if the technology works, no, they definitely will be uh, clapping and cheering, and it'll be like an episode of Ramesh Ranganathan's Ranganation. So uh, everything will be absolutely fine. The technology will hold up perfectly, and more importantly, uh, oh. I'm just reaching behind myself. Yeah, that sounded dramatic. It was very dramatic. I'm, I'm good at doing the audio. I'm getting good at like uh, immersive podcasting, actually. I've done a couple of podcasts recently, and I've got good at like making the audio represent my movement around the room. Right, go back side by side. Hi, Mike, again. Um, two things. The first is my gold pan of ca- uh, can of paint, which is spraying up a special virtual prize that people will receive. For, for for whatever in the the next episode i know right and the other thing is also thanks to masquette for for my regional railways mask which i've just arrived in the post as well loving that very nice right that was a lot of adverts mike tell us what you need to plug it's um, well, time thank you uh really we've already done it it was having this conversation it was seeing what people who are out there listening watching were saying and thinking and i will check the chat uh, after and, and telling people about the project. So, you know, people do please go and visit the project website, engage with us on Twitter, want to hear from you. And, uh, you know, we're always interested. We do try and be as collaborative as possible. We want people to know about us. We want people to, to use the materials that we're producing. Uh, and that's, you know, that's going to be the thing that's, that's going to do us the best. I think people pointed out a lot in the in the feed, but the Twitter account is brilliant, and and, and lots of people engage with that, and lots of really interesting conversations happen. Right. Some of the things that you post or get involved in discussions with, you know, whether it's Doctor DT or others posting things, and then discussions happening underneath. I I, I love that; it's really good. Um, Mike, 
it only remains for me to say what an absolute pleasure it's been to have you on. And, and absolutely, we'll have you back on with lots of pictures of... We'll talk about cool. training materials for track safety. That, that's, that's the next that chapter. Awesome. A really interesting one. Um, yes, I well, can only... Uh, yeah, th- thanks so much, Mike. Uh, take good you. care of yourself. And uh, yeah. yeah. Cheerio, Brilliant. everyone. Cheers. <laughs> Cheerio.